On the Brevity Code podcast, we'll explore a wide range of topics from the very people that give form and color to our world. We'll hear from artists, brand builders, industry leaders, pro athletes, fitness and endurance coaches, philanthropists, entrepreneurs, and many others. Through their actions, they enrich us with their vision, creativity, and bravery. Our guests have all been successful by flying in the face of conventional wisdom. We'll learn from them the ways in which we can apply that very knowledge to our own path and toward our own self-fulfillment. Hello, everyone. Today, I have Ed Moffitt in studio. Uh, This is an exciting podcast for me. I'm a total coffee dork. I'm an uninformed coffee dork, but today I hope to get a little bit smarter by having Ed here. Uh, We're going to get into all things coffee today. I've never named a podcast, but today we're calling it the art of coffee because what Ed really does is an art. So let's learn from Ed. Uh, He's the director of coffee and head roaster of Common Room Roasters, which is an amazing spot in uh, Costa Mesa, California. He's been involved in the coffee industry for 18 years. He's owned multiple successful specialty coffee businesses. This is primarily in Melbourne. I mean, starting uh, at the ripe old age of 22, owning a spot. Um, He's worked for some of the best specialty coffees in Melbourne. Um, Let's see, what else? Uh, Been roasting for the past four to five years. Um, And and probably most recently and uh, significant uh, was a second place in the America's Best Espresso Coffee Fest in Portland. So we're talking about Ed going up against, you know, all the main dudes from Seattle, Portland, and LA. So I'm happy to have you on the show today, Ed. Welcome. Thanks very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Dude, stoked. So first of all, we are um, we're getting properly caffeinated already. What do we have here? What did you bring for us today? Well, yeah, I thought I'd bring something a little bit different. This is a, um, this is a small... Uh, micro lot Ethiopian coffee that um, we're drinking this morning. It's obviously uh, it's very light and very fruity, um, and I just thought I'd bring you something a little bit out of the ordinary to um, get the conversation going. Not super super good, um, and thank you for that. So I, I think it bears to reason that I give a background as to why in the hell we're going to talk about coffee for the next foreseeable bit of time here. Um, so I love coffee. And I think, um, as, as many of us, you know, I was introduced to coffee, you know, cramming during, you know, my studies at university. Um, and I believe that I'm a bit of a coffee elitist, but it's so funny because it's underpinned by nothing. I don't know anything about coffee. Uh, and, and I think it, it is, I've been, I've been drinking coffee for 25 years now with little to no break. I mean, this is something on the daily that is it is part of my ritual. It is, it is part of brushing. It's like brushing teeth. It's like, yeah, of course I'm going to make coffee the night before. And of course I'm going to brew it in the morning and, and we're going to get into my technique and I have you pick me apart in a minute here, but I don't care whether it's, you know, 40 degrees and I'm in a snowy, beautiful place, or if it's 80 degrees at the beach here in Newport, I'm still going for a coffee in the morning. It's, it's just this thing that's so prominent in my life. And I just sort of take its existence for granted, and and I want to be more informed as to, you know, beyond the process of making it, which we'll get into in a second here. But I want to know more about this thing that I'm consuming on the daily. Um, so I thought, as a as a fun intro, um, it might be fun for you to pick holes in my game, if there are any, um, on my coffee making techniques. So uh, my morning ritual. Um, I use the French press method. I start the night before. So 
I take a vacuum sealed jar where I have whole beans. Uh, I, I pull them from that vacuum sealed jar. I, I put them into my coffee grinder. I know the perfect amount at this point where the level is. Um, I leave them in there. I get the kettle full of water and I grind them up and I go to sleep. They're still in the airtight grinder. Uh, in the morning, I bring the water to a boil. Um, as far as coffee, I like Stumptown's Hairbender. Um, it's, and I like it strong. I like another brand called Fast Track out of Austin. And of course, the shameless plug, Common Room Roasters makes amazing, amazing coffee. Um, so I grind only what I will consume. I don't measure because, again, I know the amount of beans uh, on the bottom of the French press where I'm at now on the strength level. Uh, so once I bring the water to a boil, I pour it into the kettle. I stir for about 30 seconds. And one of the questions I have for you, and just let me finish my thought because I know you're going to get me, is the, the aeration of, you, we'll talk about that because I know in cocktails, there's, there's a whole issue with aeration on old fashions and such. Um, when I'm making my coffee and I'm pouring the boiling water in, am I, should I do it slowly or should I do it quickly? Let's talk about that. Um, I then let the, after a 30 second stir, uh, I let the coffee sit mixed for about four to five minutes, do a gentle press. It goes straight into my Yeti where I can keep it hot for like an hour and I only drink it black. How did I do? You're doing better than most. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I guess obviously people need to understand that. Um, and I guess the biggest, you know, two things, a lot of people just don't know where the coffee comes from. So you're not alone with, um, with that, you know, people drink it, you know, once, twice, three times a day, just um, not knowing how that actual bean got to where, where you know, they're consuming it. Uh, but as far as your morning, morning uh, technique, it's you're doing all the right things. You're only grinding what you should use, uh, what you're going to consume. A um, couple of things I would say is uh, often once the coffee is ground up, um, it's lost its little outer protective casing. Um, being the actual bean formation itself. So uh, maybe let the kettle stand for 30 seconds to a minute just to bring it off um, boiling temperature. Okay. Just to avoid any scalding or scorching of the bean because it is a soft little powdery substance once it's been ground up. Um, what else? Um, four to five minutes. Obviously, extraction times will make a difference to strength. Um, have you tried three minutes, three and a half minutes? four minutes, four and a half minutes, because those, <laughs> if you were to pull out your, you know, your smartphone and start a little stopwatch and and experiment Monday through Friday yeah. and add 30 seconds, I'm sure you will find a little sweet spot that you, uh, because if you're using the same amount of coffee and the same amount of water each time, then the variable is the extraction time. So that's how you can turn the flavor up and down. That's a super good trick. I'm going to do that. Um yeah, I, I I have not. I think probably if anything on the on the staggered wait times, it's a matter of how bad I need the caffeine. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh my god, can I push that thing down now? Or you know, sometimes yeah. I get preoccupied writing an email, and it's like, oh, it's, oh, that's a question. So, is there a point on the French press where, let's say, I've, I'm you know immersed in reading an article or something, and you know, eight minutes has gone by, and that thing has not been pressed. What's the status of the coffee at that point? Is well, that, does that make it the profile change? Yeah. Did I wreck it? Where am I at? Should I start over? So obviously French press is a full immersion technique. So it's um, you're obviously adding all the water in one go and the coffee starts extracting as soon as the first drop of water hits the grounds. 
So if you can imagine, um, you know, it's not every passing second is extracting. Think of the word to pull out, you know, um, flavour and and depth and strength. So if it keeps going and going and going, it's going to pass the point of enjoyment. Now, there's no right and right. And this is probably something to sort of put a little precursor on on today's discussion. Coffee is a subjective thing. Um, There are certain um, uh, do's and don'ts, but generally if you're doing something that's making you enjoy what you're drinking, then for you that is right. Um, However, uh, you will find the point of extraction. It'll, It'll turn the corner and it will become unpleasant. So... Um, however, if it's early in the morning and you've got to get to work, uh, a lot of people, uh, sit through a bad one. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, a homebrewed bad one might be better than a drive through yeah. option from, you know, just on, just on the French press too. being, um, it, it does bring out all the deep flavors of coffee, like full immersion coffee techniques, um, bring out sort of the chocolatey and the nutty and sometimes the darker fruit notes of coffee. So what I would say um, is when you are selecting which coffee you're going to buy from for your for your home brewing, select coffees that if you're going to you, you want to put the right coffee with the right brewing technique. Um, so for instance, today we're drinking this really light floral fruity Ethiopian coffee. That's a pour o- that we're we're drinking a pour over. So that is not a full immersion technique. Um, so you want to pick coffees that are going to be suited to dark, rich flavors and 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 pick coffees that are that are getting those flavors through the actual origin itself not the roasting profile so pour over dark rich so pour over light fruity floral aromatic okay. gen- generally speaking okay full immersion which is aeropress french press um generally look at coffee with flavor notes that are chocolatey nuttier dark plums black cherries like dark, deep, because that's what's going to really come out in that brewing technique. If you put a really citrusy, light, aromatic coffee in a French press, it can feel a bit like a square peg in a round hole. Okay. And this is awesome, and I want to so badly go into yeah. the technique, <laughs> but let's to, let's get to you and how in the heck you your path led you to all things coffee, and then later, I promise, guys that are, that are tuning in, uh, we're going to talk about a lot of kind of methods and what we want to batch and pair things with. So, uh, so you, your background, you know, coffee is like one of those things too. I, it's, you know, it's, it's sort of niche and it's, and it's, it's obviously very, um, I don't want to say it, it's, it's hipster, right. To like coffee and have a beard right now, which I have both happening. Uh, but you know, again, this is a 25 year process and a love affair with me and coffee. How, and obviously it's cool to be in that space and to be doing what you're doing. But you didn't just do this overnight. This wasn't some bandwagon you just jumped, hitched your wagon to, and, and hey, I'm doing coffee. So no, it was, it was, it was. It's a funny. I get asked this a lot, and I sort of look back and I go, when you know, when was the day that it was like, right, we, this is my job, you know, and this is how it's going to happen. And there was no real sort of definite point where I made a sort of grand decision because um, I was pretty young. Um, I was like you. I was you know, finishing high school and, and coffee for me became a, a late night survival sort of beverage to, you know, cram for exams and do things like that. Um, and I traveled a little bit out of school um, and I actually came to the States and I was a snowboard coach living in Vale and I got ex- uh, got exposed to 
you know, and I was young, so I, um, I was drinking like caramel frappiades and all this kind of <laughs> stuff, and and I, and I didn't really know what was what was going, uh, what was going to, what what was sort of happening in the coffee world for me. I was as naive as anyone at this point. Um, I basically came home to Australia. I went home to Australia, and uh, although my parents were very happy to see me, I was dead broke, and I owed them a bit of money and all that sort of stuff, as you do at you know 19, 20 years of age. So they basically told me to go and get a job and I walked down to the corner cafe, which Melbourne has many, and uh, yeah, started, I asked for a job. I said, I'm, I'm pretty unskilled, but I'll, I'll, um, I'll do anything and started, you know, washing dishes, clearing tables, uh, went onto the bar and within that bar was a coffee machine. And then, um, yeah, as the months rolled by, I sort of got learnt the, I started making coffees for all the chefs and all the other staff. And then, yeah, basically got onto the coffee machine full time and then within about six months I was their kind of go-to coffee guy. The word barista wasn't getting thrown around too loosely back then. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and then uh, and then from there, that was probably 2001, two, 2002, um, not too far around the corner, the specialty coffee wave crashed into Melbourne and um, – and yeah, I, I was just in, I was in the right place at the right time where this industry just exploded and, you know, and I, it was just exciting and to be a part of and it was, um, I didn't really sort of think that, you know, I'm going to try and, it, it sort of just picked me up and took me with it. Um, well, yeah, I think as with anything, it sounds like, you know, coffee found you as much as you found it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like, I, I really think it's like a good chef, you know, you can follow a recipe and you're going to get a certain outcome, but there's a feel, right? There's this, there's a nuance and a feel. So probably back when you were, you know, starting to do coffees and certain tricks for the chefs and such, it came natural to you is what I'm gathering, you know? And it's just, I think it's, it's some people have that skill and others do not. I mean, so I, I think clearly by, you know, your, your, your lineage to up to recently winning um, in competition, which which we'll talk about as well. I mean, there's it's an art, and that's why we're we're talking about the art of coffee today, right? Yeah, it's 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 obviously it falls very closely into the space of you know craft beer, whiskey, wine, yeah. Yeah. Um, cigars, um, you know, tea. Um, but it. I always, I'm a bit of a foodie at heart. Um, I've always liked to cook and my mum is a really good cook. So I, I know what flavour is and I know what um, what balanced flavour is and coffee is, is no different. You know, you need acidity and sweetness and all the things that you do when you cook. Um, so, you know, when you taste your successes, when you're making drinks, you can say that tastes amazing. I, I'm going to do that over and over and or, or conversely, you know, that um, – it tastes terrible. I'm never doing that again. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I think having a, having a reasonably good palate is 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 a pretty good start. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, you know, I think we should maybe dive into a little bit of the history of coffee, and then after that, um, you know, talk about this sort of crop to cup idea uh, to use your vocab, right? I mean, that's, yeah, yeah. So, and this is from a, <laughs> this is from an Aussie perspective. Yeah. I'm sure the French and the Italians may have their own, and I'm sure there's some uh, history that's intertwined there. Uh, but maybe give us a little sense of uh, the history of coffee as, as you understand it. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, I, from, like this, again, this is my, you know, 
Ed Moffat Australian version of of events for for from my point of view. But obviously the 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 bean itself has been around for you know hundreds, if not thousands of years. So it's been it's not it's nothing new. This is a plant that's grown on the earth for you know forever and and more. Um, as far as Melbourne goes, there was a big kind of coffee revolution in I think it was nineteen fifty early nineteen fifties. Post World War Two, all the immigrants came to Australia. A uh, lot of Italians, Greeks, Lebanese, um, Asian, uh, assorted Asian uh, immigrants as well. And with that influx of people came, you know, all these different cultures. And so obviously the Asian communities brought amazing food, uh, and as did the Greeks and the Lebanese. Um, but the coffee thing came from the Italians. Uh, and they turned up with espresso machines. I mean, there's old black and white photos of these guys getting off the boats and they've got these tiny little lever <laughs> action so espresso awesome. machines. Yes. And, uh, in fact, the first espresso machine, or one of the very first Gaggia machines, still hangs in the front window of the University Cafe in Ligon Street, Melbourne, which is Melbourne's like little Italy, if you will. Um, and it's tiny. It's a tiny little box with two little levers hanging out the top. And, uh, and they started pumping espresso. Has that technology changed much from the original? It's funny you say that because obviously, you know, there's everything's been computerized and, yeah. and, and everything's digital now and there's Bluetooth components in coffee machines and um, there's, there's apps to go with everything and right. it's it's getting really nerdy. But Lama Zocco, who's obviously one of the leaders in coffee machine, espresso machines, have just brought out their latest 90-year anniversary machine. Total throwback. Levers. Really? Got, yeah, it's all digital and beautiful, yeah. but it's um, <laughs> but they've got the big levers out the top again, um, yeah. which is pretty cool. So, um, so yeah, it's um, it's it really has come from a a, a um, Melbourne's cafe culture has come. It's it's a very Italian um, started movement, and and that's where it's quite different to America, I think. Um, but yeah, it's and then obviously, um, you know, the Australian was. Australian, the food culture has always been a very mixed pot of different cultures coming together. And then once, um, once the Italians turned up and they started sitting around and, you know, these guys were sitting around. An interesting story is that espresso bars back in those days, in the 1960s, were seen as unsavoury places to be seen. They were known as hangouts for, um, you know, criminal activity mm. and all this kind of stuff. Um, so it's interesting now they're the now they're the communal epicenter of each neighborhood. Um it's done the it's done the full 180. Right. So uh that's so funny man. Uh, yeah. The Italians bring in uh some gangster mentality with their expression. Yeah, right? right. yeah absolutely. Uh, so you know let's talk a little bit about the the crop to cup. So the entire process from growing to roasting to serving it up. I mean again being Speaking and using myself as the the ignorant one here, I, I don't know how coffee gets into my cup aside from when I do my French press, which at that point I still only know the process of yeah there. Like so, how does this happen? Well, yeah, in the roastery, like we do training from you know public beginner training, and and the and the first slide on the first page of the first day is, did you know coffee is a fruit? You know, and people. They don't. They, a lot of people think it's a grain or a um, you know they, because it's a seed. It's or a, something? Yeah, it's it, the, it's it, a seed of a cherry. Okay. Um, so and there's lots of different species of coffee plant. So it's uh, it's a cherry about the size of a grape, 
um, or a you know a cherry tomato. Um, and the crops take about if you plant a crop, it takes about three to five years to bear fruit. So similar to a wine. I was just going to um, say similar yeah. to a wine. Yeah. So, yeah. so coffee uh, plantations don't just pop up overnight. Um, so there, it's kind of a. So you hit a lot of the good farms, and similar to wine again, are third, fourth, fifth generation farms. That the vines are very old, the plants are old, and it's and they're producing really well matured fruit. And, um, and I, I would assume, you know, the the regions, you know, the amount of moisture, the amount of rainfall, the the topography, absolutely, it all, just like wine, it all plays in. Yeah, it's um, it's 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 got all. It, yeah, it's sunlight, rainfall. Um, yeah, the topography. Um, you know, not everything's positive. You've got um, leaf rust and certain pests that are hurting coffee crops, um, which can adversely affect a a, uh, a plantation. You've got um, there's political things that can affect the you mean like labor exploitation. Yeah, and, just... and and certain you know governance for you know these are pretty third world countries we're we're dealing with. Um, so they put taxes on things, and they and there's there's some corrupt activities that can go on. It's gotten a lot. It's been cleaned up a lot in the last few years, but um, obviously, fair trade is a is a word that you hear bandied around a lot, uh, and that was that was a key driver in in cleaning all that up. Um, and so, give us a sense of geography as we're talking about this. I mean, where where are the? I'm sure there are many, many, many countries and regions and areas, but what are the sort of the the main go to spots? Well, if you think of a map of the Earth, um, basically, think of just the equator. It's pretty much all grown on the equator. So um, you think of where we are now in um, Southern California. So there's coffee in Mexico and down through um, Central and South America. So you've obviously got, you know, Costa Rica, Panama, Ecuador, El Salvador, all those. They're all beautiful coffee-producing countries. Um, obviously Northern Africa is uh, um, a huge producer. Brazil, 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 I think from don't – I think it produces the most amount of coffee. Um, in terms of tonnage, um, and then obviously you know Indonesia, India, Papua New Guinea. So they're all equatorial places. Um, again, it needs rainfall, it needs warmth, it needs sunlight, um, and not too much wind and rain and stuff that can actually harm the the plant itself. Can you give us a sense uh, of each of those regions you talked about? Um, you know, some of the different or contrasting flavor profiles you might find per region. Yeah, so so the, all the regions are very um, they're quite different in in the cup. Um, obviously, there's lots of factors that can make a cup taste a certain way. So you've got things like obviously there's all those different um, things we spoke of earlier with rainfall, water, um, topography, sunlight, etc. Then you multiply that by all the different species of plants because and whether they're a pure bread species or their hybrid engineered species. So farmers now are genetically modifying um, the species. Uh, so that, and then we'll get onto this in a minute, but all the different processing methods that the farmers then do from, from the plant itself to the actual green bean, um, you actually obviously have to get the seed out of the cherry. So you times all, all those um, combinations and, and possibilities create a myriad of flavour and opportunities and think each season is different as well. So the beauty of our job and my job as a green bean saucer and, and, and roaster is you never 
you've never tasted it all. It's it, every every time you think you've got a handle on one particular origin, the season changes or the processing method changes or they introduce a new species of plant. Um, or, yeah, or um, <laughs> Wait, it's, so it's, it's, it's just when you think you've handled it, 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 un, it unveils another mystery to well, the yeah. – it, it's, it's ever complexed um, sort of the life of the bean. But those those regions must some of them must give a a general uh consistent profile. Yeah, so so African coffees. Um well Kenya Kenya's a obviously a very popular one. They grow beautiful coffee. Um often very uh rich dark fruit, uh black cherries and um black currants and that sort of that's their their very bold sort of um Solid flavors. Gen- this is all general speaking because you know you can roast light and dark and all this sort of stuff. Um, Ethiopian coffees. Um, they're obviously they do a lot of natural coffee as well as the wash process. So the natural ones in Ethiopia are, are, are earthy and they have more pronounced fruit flavor. And the washed Ethiopian coffees um, from places like the Gurji region are very delicate and tea-like, and that's what we're drinking today. That's so good. Dude. This is a this is a delicate. Um, this is Yabitu Koba, which is a uh, which is a farming cooperative uh, out of Ethiopia, and these guys um, they do great washed Ethiopians all year round. So now, how do you? I mean, will you go there and stand there and meet the guys, or well, how do you do? How do you source this? Well, it's changed a lot. Uh, I mean, obviously, when I was in Australia, these countries are a long way away. Absolutely. Um, we're now we're based in America. Uh, Twenty eighteen is looking like we're going to be on a plane a fair bit, uh, going to Origin and and meeting uh, a lot of our existing suppliers, as well as as well as finding some new um, and new farmers to import some green bean from. Uh, Many years ago, the green bean brokers, in inverted commas, were very different to how they are now. It's been broken down into these small farming cooperatives and your importer, if you speak to all these green bean importers, and they're really boutique, small operations now, there's great transparency. There's all the farmers' names that you can um, you can sort of read about, where their farms are located, things like Google Earth. You know, I, I, I can look and see the farm and see it on – I mean, it's yeah, pretty it's amazing, amazing now. Like, amazing. so you, you don't have to be to on the plane yeah, all yeah. day long to, right. to get a good result. And not only a good result in the cup, but as, as far as sustainability, mm-hmm. traceability, mm-hmm. ethically sourced coffees. Right. Um, so there, there's ways to, um, to do your background work and make sure that not only does it taste good, but it's coming to us in the right way. So let's continue talking on a regional level about the flavor profile. So... You know, what might I get from, you know, South America, Mexico, yeah. those types of regions? Well, the, the probably the, it's, yeah, it's the most, so Central America, they're sort of renowned for um, their processing methods, which I like. I, I really like the way they're pushing these. Um, so obviously the, why don't we go back one step, talk about washed versus natural. Yes. Just so we yes. don't. Um, you confuse people and, too much. Yeah, what in the hell is washed so, versus unwashed? Yeah, so the, obviously the cherry comes off the tree um, and it gets picked, usually hand-picked, and they, these, um, these amazing farmers, they walk around and they, they hand-pick the cherries when they're ripe and they, um, and they pick and sort uh, 
the the ones that are mature and ready to go. Now, are these sorry? The, are these cherries like you could eat these? Are these grocery store cherries? Are these uh, a different no, type it's called, of cherry. It's called uh, yeah. It's it's a coffee cherry. Um, and the uh, and the it's, it's you wouldn't eat this. No, I mean it, it's sweet to. You, you can't eat them. I've eaten them. They sort of they're a bit. They can be sour. Okay. Uh, it's a bit like a you know wine grape. You know, okay. you sort of like you eat it, and it's like, uh, yeah, I can see where it's coming from, but it's not that <laughs> enjoyable. Um, but um, yeah, and then obviously they get so they float them in a tank, right? So all the coffees get floated, um, and the and they should sink, right? Because the seed is fully mature and the cherry f- sinks to the bottom. Now all the floated cherries get scooped off the top because the seed within has not developed fully. Um, okay. So they get put aside. Um, and then from there, is that it, waste or is that, uh, later? well, it depends. Yeah. Generally there's a few running jokes that, you know, they sell them to certain people, you know, <laughs> but, uh, won't say who. Cough, and, cough. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so they, um, yeah. So then the, the cherry takes one of two very sort of different paths. The washed coffees go through a wet mill, which is a, which is a sort of a, if you imagine two sort of wheels grinding in opposite directions. And and they and the coffee comes down this sort of gutter full of water, and 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 the two blades sort of strike the cherry and cause the seed to fall out. Um, and then the other way they do it is uh, they it's called the natural process where they lie the cherries out in these um, in the sun on the ground or on raised beds depending on which far, which technique they use, and the sun basically ferments the coffee uh, ferments the cherry dries it all out and then they sort of and then they wash the skin off um and and that's that's the natural method and they they're the ones that take on this extra fruity flavor and due to the extra time in the sun so more flavor develops in the later stages and from a cost basis as it relates all the way to America and getting in a consumer's cup, which is the most expensive and which is the most cost effective? Well, does it not even work that way? No, it doesn't really work that way. It's it's, it's about uh, flavor profiles. Yeah, the costs are about the same. It's more about often supply. So if it's a really tiny little micro lot that's really really high quality, um, they are uh, highly sought after. So they the price obviously goes up. Um, now, obviously, with the internet being you know the the base of society. They have online auctions, so you can so so a certain farm will release its crop on a certain time on a certain night, and all the roasters like myself will log on to these op- auctions, and they go lot one. Here it go, and and the price is X, and we all you know we all buy online, and we reserve a certain amount of bags, and they send them out. So that that's 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 right up the high end. So Panama geishas and things like that, where they're really sought after. They're beautiful coffees. Uh, that's how they do it. And then right, and then all the way down to, um, you know, sort of the, the, the bulk coffees, like uh, a lot of Brazil coffees tend to be cheaper, um, mm-hmm. purely for supply. They'd make so much coffee, Brazil, and they are often very nutty in their flavor. And that's what a lot of people, a lot of roasters put in their blends to make that, um, nutty sort of, um, baseline flavor, especially if that blend's going to be mixed with milk. So, and that's what's in our blend. Um, we have a, we have a component of a, um, a honey processed Brazil. So, and, and so, tell me why. I, as we're talking here, I'm thinking about you know the flavor profiles I like, and I think I'm starting to understand regionally a little bit better what my palate prefers. This whole idea, this 
I made a French roast the other day and it tasted like burnt mud in a mug. <laughs> what? And I, yeah. I, I turned to my wife and I said, did I leave that in the French press too long? But it, it's, it's a totally different thing, right? It, it's, yeah, it's not even, why yeah. do I not like that? Why is that not agreeable? And again, it's just me. Yeah. A lot of people it, like, but what, exact- is, what am I not digging there? It's just a technique that's, um, what is a French roast? What does that mean? Well, French roast is just extremely dark, basically. Um, so there's all there's all different. There used to be these sort of roasting grades where you would look at, you know, city, city plus. They had um, Italian, French, had all these words that were sort of used as a roasting spectrum. Now you'll see things on packaging like light, medium, medium. Yeah. You know, like it's much easier to follow. Uh, you'll probably find that most of the contemporary brands like ourselves they are all medium to light um, purely because we're trying to showcase these individual nuances of a certain origin. Um, do you like extremely, extremely well-cooked steak? Like like well, 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 well done? No. And why is that? Well, you've just wrecked the whole characteristic of the – you know, the steak in the first place. And it, all your taste is the grill and you don't, uh, yeah, and it's, it's lost a, the it's, juiciness. Right, and it's burnt. It's, it's, yeah, it's on the front end and back end is no good. It's no different in coffee. It's just remember it's the seed of a fruit. It needs to be treated with respect and needs to be roasted delicately to bring out these flavors that, um, that make that particular origin, whether due to all those reasons we just spoke of with all the rainfall, sunlight, et cetera, why that coffee tastes like that. You don't want it to taste like the roaster. You want it to taste like Ethiopia. Yeah. So on on the roasting process, um, you know, we're I was exposed to something the other day that just began the wash and unwash thing. I was like, yeah. oh, I've never heard of that. But um, you know, take me take us through roasting and that whole process and and what without giving away your trade secrets yeah. and, and all the secret sauce that's in there. I mean, the other day you were talking about using an analogy, and I thought it was a fantastic one, but but let's even back up and start with what the heck roasting means. Yeah, so, now so we've we've picked the region, right? We've yep. got our our whole beans, or what, what is? It's not even a green bean. We've got a green bean. We've got green bean. So, so what basically happens is, so the we reach out to these farming cooperatives and they send us a sample, and we would do a sample roast of maybe hundred or two hundred grams of coffee. We would cup all those samples. So cupping is a standardized specialty coffee association technique of tasting coffee. I won't, I'd, you can look it up on many websites, but it is a standardized um, timed procedure so that the actual coffees are doing the talking, not not the brewing technique if per se. Timed and degree of heat. Weighted, so or? a weighted dose, a timed brew, full immersion brew, and then um, and then a, tech, and a, and a standardized technique of uh, how you actually taste the coffee so and that's that's universal um so you hear the word cupping a lot uh so we cup the samples and then off the cupping table we decide which ones we're going to purchase um so we then you reach out and you make your purchase the coffees come from all over the world um sometimes locally here in america they're stored sometimes they're coming straight from origin sometimes they're coming from european countries or wherever um, so we get the coffees in, we then have to write a roasting profile for each coffee. So the way we do it, we look up things like moisture content of green beans. So when a, 
when a green bean arrives, it's holding about 10% moisture. And the, cough, and the green bean is quite small and it's quite heavy. So um, we obviously put the coffee into the roaster. Now, roast, roasters vary in size. So they, I think the smallest one I've seen is a 250-gram roaster, so a tiny little tabletop one, and right up to 200 kilos at a time. A big factory, like, you know, it takes up a whole room. Um, and everywhere in between, and there's, you know, lots of makes and models, and they're all good and bad for all different reasons. No, no, I always say, you know, what kind of cars do you like? I mean, you could name five brands that you like. So roasters are very the same, are very similar to that. And then um, I usually use a roasting profile from a um, origin that is quite similar, whether it be Central American, African. Mm. So I would run that profile to see how that particular bean, of the same batch size, see how that bean performs. And then we basically take it up and down and change the shape of the roast from there. Um, now what happens in the roasting profile, in the roasting process, uh, coffee goes in cold so that you charge the roaster really hot full of hot air and thermo energy. And it goes into what? Like it's, it's the roaster, but is it going to a big receiving bin? Yeah, like, so it's, it's a big spinning uh, cast iron barrel with a flame underneath it okay. um, powered by gas and controlled by a computer board. And, yeah, and then uh, so obviously the coffee goes in and uh, it goes in cold. So the, so the, the temperature plummets down f- up from, you know, 400 degrees and it comes all the way down to, you know, under 200 sometimes. And then basically the the mastery of it is how you can reheat that bean. So there's a thing called a drying process, which is the first five, six minutes where generally, you know, you've got the you've got the, f- the throttle on full um, to bring that bean up to temperature. And then what's going to happen is you're going to start evaporating the water in the bean. And that's where, um, so the water starts to heat up within the bean and you might hear the term the first crack or the second crack. So the first crack is where the, the water basically boils within the coffee bean and it has to escape. And so the coffee basically pops like popcorn and, um, and it's, it, it halves in weight and, and nearly doubles in size. So it's very similar to, in fact, if you put green bean in a popcorn maker, it will work. It will work. Yeah, I mean, it won't. It won't. <laughs> it won't taste. Uh, it won't be competition standard, but yeah, it will work. Yeah. So, um, and then from there, obviously, you know, you've got to caramelize the bean and make it. You you know, um, polish it up. I call it. You know, sort of make it. It's the development process post after the crack and before you drop it into the cooling bin, is a very delicate time, and you, and you've got to you've got to have just the right amount of thermo energy in the barrel to be able to. Um, develop flavors within the bean without making it darker, mm-hmm. like you've just spoken about Italian and French roasts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and that's not easy. And um, I, I worked with a guy once who said, you know, try and imagine, you know, you're driving a speedboat flat out towards the dock. And then you've got to calculate the distance between you and the dock and then turn the boat off <laughs> and try and glide it into it to the parking spot without. A coming up short, or B crashing into the yeah, dock. You right, know, right. No, so it's a beautiful. I, yeah, and man. it was an interesting and, and uh, I know you t- pick up those little nuggets along the way from these guys um, and girls, and uh, and I've 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 used that in roasting classes and things like that um, to explain it because you really are you're generating energy within the coffee bean, and then you've got to sort of let the bean do its thing. Um, 
and don't work it too hard. Let it do the let it take the process on itself um, chemically. So, and is that whether you're doing a, a 200 kilo batch, as you said, or a, or a you know mom and pop type? Is that something that can like can you scale that? Can you drive this? Can you drive a mega yacht and throttle off into a dock, or is that a crash and burn? Like, no, how well, good it, of a roaster are you? Is that what it? Like, how do it's all to do? So obviously, um, like if you're doing large scale, how do you? Is it the same? No, it's just yeah, bigger machinery, it's bigger machine. Yeah, so it's um the theories are the same. Um, I go to roasting seminars and things like that all the time, and they don't ever you know. We, you know, we have these open forums and no one ever talks about sort of the size of the roaster. The principles are the same. Okay. Um, smaller batches, you generally have more control, definitely. Um, you know, and it's like, you know, again, you cook a huge shoulder of lamb. Like that's kind of daunting, you know, to get it right. Whereas a tiny little piece, you can watch it, yeah. you know, and really focus on it and, and get it right. Um, so it's quite similar. Sample roasts often really – that's the risk you run. Sample roast can taste really, really great because the roast is tiny. And, and That's kind of what I was getting. Yeah. And yeah then you, like and how then do you, you maintain you the integrity of – You order two ton of the coffee and then you get it in the roaster and you can't get it to really sing. Right. Um, it happens, but there's, you know, there's ways around there's, – there's, there's a lot of sort of process you can go through to sort of zero in on the problem, whether it be a um, – you know, it can be, you know, you're just not getting sweetness or it's, or it's drying out too quickly or there's, there's a raft of reasons that'll happen and there's a lot of great literature out there that you can read up on. I mean, we're for, I'm forever learning. I do this all day, every day. And like I said about the origin and understanding, you know, which coffees are tasting how from where. Um, it's the same with roasting. Just when you think you've got it mastered, something, a curly one comes along. Right. Yeah. So, uh, Maybe now let's switch gears and talk a little bit about, you know, the pop culture of coffee. And again, you, you know, you kind of came in to the, you know, the coffee era. I mean, and, and way back, um, you know, having traveled the world a bit, you know, you see how the various cultures treat their coffee and, and their, their social interactions. And, you know, the American experience to me seems a bit, um, God, what's the word I'm looking for? Cold and impersonal. So, you know, you're either in your car, your commuter, you're on your way to work, you drive into either a fast food chain that is going to serve you up a coffee or a large chain, or you're going to go in and you're still going to go to a chain um, and you're going to get a coffee with caffeine in it and it's going to do its job. And how much do you care? And, or you're going to go inside the, the, the coffee shop. And you're going to flip your laptop open. You're going to join the Wi-Fi, and you're not going to look at anyone around you. And, and I think that's such an American thing. And it's, it's, um, it's, it's good nor bad. I get it. People need to have free Wi-Fi, and they're going to get a cup of coffee, and they're going to just go hammer. But in traveling a bit, you see that other people treat coffee and the social experience in a much different way. So tell us a little bit about the, you know the Aussie method. Yeah, it's well when we moved out here, the first thing I did notice was you know like people we obviously we have a beautiful cafe in the front of our uh, roastery and like you say these you know people walk in and they what's the Wi-Fi password and I'll have a coffee and it's just head down like you know <laughs> talk to no one and 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 I found that really quite strange. I mean we we have a little bit of it back in Australia, but it's very different. I think coming back to the 
the the roots of where their coffee came from in Melbourne with the Italian sort of community style espresso bar. Like it, it really was a meeting place of um, conversation. And obviously um, in Melbourne, it's very different. So here, for me, the home brewing thing is is really prevalent. Um, we sell a lot of bagged coffee for people like yourself. People yeah, yeah. take it home and they want to master the home brew yeah. and they want to, you know, French press and pour overs or their, um, you know, their, I won't even say the capsule brand, but, you know, the capsule Nespresso and all this kind of stuff. In Melbourne, you feel like a coffee, you are looking for your car keys. You're going out for the coffee. Like it's because the, there's cafes everywhere and there's a fairly good chance the barista on the corner is better at it than you are. <laughs> and and you walk in and he's probably or she's going to know your name and she's going to go, good morning, Ryan, how are you? She knows that you're a strong latte guy. She's just put written it on the cup and she's asking you about your weekend and your kids and <laughs> yeah. and your interaction with the barista is, that barista is like a part of your life. You know, um, when I was a young barista, we, I would know more about my customers' lives than probably their best friends do, you know. Uh, I'd see them every day and 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 – you know, we got invited to weddings and, like, you really become a part of these people's lives. Um, not only that, you start to see the same people in the coffee shop every morning because you're a 7.15 guy, I'm a 7.15 guy. After the fifth morning in a row, I'm probably going to go, by the way, my name's Ed, you know, yeah. and all of a sudden you start developing this real community culture within the shops. So what coffee shop do you go to is a – normal question to ask someone. I go to the little one on the corner here or I go to the big one around the corner there. And with that boomed breakfast culture. So Melbourne, we all go out for breakfast. Um, Mel, I notice America does brunch, which is slightly different. It's a bit, it's later in the day and it's often got, you know, cocktails and, you know, what are they? Uh, what are the bottomless mimosas and all this kind yeah. of stuff. Whereas Melbourne, it's like we go out for breakfast you know, you see lines of people waiting to get into these cafes um, to do breakfast, and the and the breakfast is amazing. It's it's it, some of the best chefs in Melbourne now are poaching eggs. They're not they're not you know cooking steak at the fine dining restaurants anymore, and and it's eggs with caramelised pumpkin and sautéed spinach and beautiful, like it's <laughs> really gourmet. Um, and so that's helped the coffee culture too. That that this breakfast culture has exploded. Well, I think that's so funny too. The culinary aspects in a traditional chain here, dude, it's mass produced blueberry muffins and some kind of high calorie coffee cake. That's essentially just, you know, a sugar bomb. Yeah. Um, and and you're pairing it with, you know, what you think is a good cup of coffee. And it's like, I mean, there's no, so not only is a social experience, in my opinion, lackluster, and I, I crave the environment in which you speak of. And I don't know that, as a society or a community, local community, we're going to get there. I mean, I've seen some iterations. Like we've got a great little, um, you guys did a collaboration with them. Um, sidecar donuts, like custom donuts. And they're amazing. And they're like curated and they're wonderful and they sell out. And when they're gone, that's it. And I, I just love that whole theory. And, you know, I applaud their efforts and, and I know you guys collaborated in doing you know, specialized yeah. coffee bean with them or roast with them. And I, I, hope that we see the advent of more specialized, localized. And I, I know I'm not alone. I mean, there's people that are listening saying, yeah, 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 we want that. We don't necessarily want the large chain with free Wi-Fi. No, that's the thing. And um, 
you know, certain like a couple of examples spring to mind, like within our cafe, um, there was a car crash on the corner and so the power pole fell over and so we all lost our internet. So the Wi-Fi went down. Well, the cafe just emptied. It was really like you would hope that everyone would just close their laptops and go, right, I'm just going to start talking to everyone. Who's, nope. No, it was like pulling the plug yeah. out of the bath. It was Done. just, it was done. So that was a, re- <laughs> and I never forget it. I thought that was a really interesting social sort of experiment in itself. Um, but yeah, we, when I say we, Melbourne, the scene, the food scene and that we generally do less things and we try and do them better. So you go to a place and it's like they just do beer and pizza or they do coffee and donuts or they do, you know, they're a breakfast place and they don't open for dinner. They just do breakfast, lunch, no dinner. You know, that shuts at four o'clock. I find a lot of the um, local restaurants around here and obviously it's got, you know, bigger population and everything, but it's it's breakfast, lunch and dinner and there's a hundred things on the menu and, and I think that you've got a lot of things being done at 80%. You know, where um, I don't know whether I'm sure, you know, New York and London and places like that are a bit more like um, Melbourne and Sydney, but we generally double down on a couple of things and say that place does the best coffee and X, you know? Yeah. Listen, I think, you know, having 20 years of background in in apparel and fashion, I get it, man. Like, it's like, I, I view like the Aussies and the Japanese, like the Japanese will just tweak on one thing. Denim, whiskey, yeah. <laughs> yeah. whatever, and they'll just tweak until it's it's well, it's a perfect thing. Then the Aussies come along, they watch what's happening in with the American side of like we're oh it's a good idea, and then there's a complete blow. Like you said, or there's like it gets it was specialized, and then it just gets so wide. And then they look at the Japanese and they go ah that's a little too narrow. Then the Aussies come in and they go okay, not only are we going to do that, we're going to study it, but we're going to put cool on it. Like, I think there's so much to the Australian culture. Like, I haven't put my finger on why that is yet, but there's a lot of cool, whether it's architecture or, you know, coffee curation or fashion. There's great brands. Like, there's something happening in the water in Australia that's, <laughs> you know, sort of this global study of how to not be so narrow and how to not be so wide, but be specialized and do. That's a whole other podcast. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. You know, well, I just, I also think too, like, It's, um, you know, like coffee, because America has these large chains, coffee for a lot of people here was the job between jobs, you know, between real jobs, you know, whereas everything's sort of specialised and and sort of uh, curated beautifully that these shops become brands and these brands become their own thing. And so you can be involved in coffee or you know, a whiskey bar or, a, you know, you own a little boutique wine and that, that is, that's your job. That's your thing. I'm a coffee guy. He's a pizza guy. Like, whereas I find, um, you know, and that'll happen here. Like things will get, you know, you'll even just around here, like all the cafes that are getting opened, all the specialty shops, they're getting opened by majority of people who are Australians. <laughs> no, no, yeah, there's a few, but you know, sort of 25 to 40 years of age, yeah. you know, where they're, they're really doubling down on, right, we're going to be a coffee bar and this is my job and I'm going to own this place and take it. Whereas, you know, I, I just don't think that was happening around here oh, that long no, ago. No. Man, I'm, I'm happy to see it. Uh, let's talk about some of the processes of coffee. So we, we talked about, you know, my French uh, press method, which seems to be fairly on par, which I'm happy You're doing to do. very well. I, I don't like grinding the night before, but I'm going to let you go because if, <laughs> if you wake the kids up, I've, uh, 
I know what that can do for your morning. Yeah, yeah. I so have a question for you though. Do you yeah. use a blade grinder or a burr grinder or a hand grinder? It's a blade grinder. Okay. So that's your next Christmas present. Okay. A burr grinder. Okay, which that is will, what? Well, sort of two rotating burrs as opposed to a spinning, like think of it. Like a pepper shaker kind of thing? Yeah, yeah that's. Yeah, so burr, so the burrs, one burr sits within another one and they spin in opposite directions. Um, it's just really um, consistent particle size. Uh, Whereas if you just stick a propeller yeah. into the. You do like, get bigger and more. So fine, some yeah. of them will be really dusty and, yeah. and really fine, and yeah. some of them are big, chunky cookies. Yeah. So, yeah, the burr grinder is going to make the big difference. So put that in your, put that that's, on your next letter to Santa. Okay, that's, yeah, got it. Yeah. And then the theory of well, I've got the, the, freshly ground coffee inside the vacuum sealed grinder. Yeah. You say don't do that because of what, just a freshness factor. That's fine. Like- I mean, that's, if you have to do it, I, I don't mind, like people come into our shop all the time and they say, look, I don't have a grinder. I want to buy this bean. Can you grind it for me? Do you that, hate that question? Uh, I, I, <laughs> I would much rather you do that than go and buy pre-ground coffee. Yeah. Right. Um, right. Purely for a freshness factor. And also they grind them so fine that for you and Ninety percent of the time, if you say to the your barista, "Hi, I would like to buy this coffee. I, could you please grind it for French press?" They right. are going to know roughly what grind setting to put it on, and as long as you whip through that coffee in a week or so, yeah, yeah. you're going to get a pretty good result. Um, but yeah, buying pre-ground coffee off the shelf, they 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 have one size that they grind to, and it needs to. You and I both know that espresso and French press grind size is very different, yeah. and how can they be the same? So that's that's where you come unstuck, and it, that's where it over extracts because you. I see. Yeah. So there's a lot. Again, that's it's 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 hard to explain some of this stuff without a grinder in in front of us. Um, <laughs> but uh, but like with anything, success and failure. Taste taste your successes and your failures, and um, what works for you is exactly that. It works for you. So. Talk about so we we've kind of we, we've got French press I think nailed for anyone who yeah. who's doing it out there I think we've 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 been pretty comprehensive on that What about so you hear the term pour over Yeah I've had a pour over You're having one now Oh dude it's so good I do feel like I'm <laughs> jacked though like yeah, I'm yeah. like Well that's another thing we'll get onto dude, in a minute caffeine because oh, I'm, I literally can feel the yeah. energy coursing through my veins I know and we're probably starting to talk faster I know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah also, so so. What is a pour over? How so, does it work? And so a pour over is basically a conical shaped cone. Um, now, whether it be so, there's there's full immersion and pour over brewing techniques. So full immersion basically means put all the coffee into the water. So put the coffee in and fully immerse it in the in the single dose of water that you're going to um, use to for extraction. Pour over. What you do is you basically stage pour the coffee, and it pours. You pour it over the top in stages, and it extracts the coffee as it flows through the dose. Stage pour. What does that does that mean? So, if you're going to do 300 grams of coffee, you might do um, three 100 gram pours. Okay, well, makes, the, how, do, how in the hell am I figuring out math at six o'clock in the morning? Like, what? What? Because what? well, obviously, then after you've bought your burr grinder, I'm going to get you to buy some scales. <laughs> okay. So I'm going. You'll be. Oh, a full we're going to go a whole man. other level. You're going to be a full coffee nerd by okay. the time I finish with you. Um, we've got some good stock, stocking stuffers coming yes. your way. But, uh, yeah, so pour over is basically that. You pour it over and the and the water runs through the dose of ground coffee. So like and a it, filter? And it runs through a filter. Like a so, paper filter? Yep, or a cloth. Or a screen? Or, 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 a, or a cloth or a copper filter. There's lots of different um, filters out there. 
Um, but yeah, so you basically. Um, so what what's if if you're if you're already doing if you're you know you're listening and you're like okay I do a pour over give me some give me some tech speak like yeah what do you prefer like what's a what's a great way to go okay so process? pour over I think with anything you want to have consistency in um, things like the amount of coffee you're going to use and the amount of water you're going to use so hence the scale is a pretty important uh, the the pour over is definitely a step up in technique required from the French press. Um, because it's pulling through, you don't know how much you've poured in unless you weigh it. I'm totally game for this. So yeah, yeah so, so it's it's another level of nerd, but it's it's a good one. And then basically, what you want to do is you want to pour it. You want to pour twice the weight of the ground coffee. So if you put in fifty grams, uh, fifteen grams of coffee, you want to put in thirty grams of water. Okay, and it, the the coffee will bloom. So it's basically activating the flavor. Um, before you're sort of going to start extraction. So the coffee will swell up and it'll puff up and it'll and you might see bubbles appear and gas getting released. That's a good sign. You know your coffee's fresh and you know mm. that it's blooming and the, the flavours are starting to activate. Okay. Then what you're going to do is you're going to gradually pour, really, really gradually, and you see these gooseneck kettles in cafes with yep. the bristers carefully yep. going in a circular motion and they're gradually pouring the coffee over the grounds so that it pulls through in a timely manner. So we look. So this is where it gets another level. You've got weight of water, you've got weight of coffee, and the amount of time that you're going to pour it for. So it really is a hands-on. There's no checking emails during this. No. So this you is your, 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 yeah. This yeah. is uh, or you're going to screw it up. Yeah, and 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 so you basically and so the coffee, the water pulls through the conical shape and filters through the paper filter. And out comes this, what we're having now, this really clean tea-like um, sort of weight of beverage. And it's and that's why you can see why this method is, um, is conducive to floral, sweet, aromatic sort of coffees um, because the contact time is much less. And, and I, don't know if you, I don't know if you answered this earlier when I asked you, but for the pour over, what type of bean might I – use or what i'm uh, sure it's sort of in the eye of the beholder right but do you have yeah, a preference on uh, well not I, I, I generally you want to use um well you, you can use washed or natural because obviously natural natural coffees are really um pronounced flavor really fruity and really um really sort of ro- uh, earthy um but i personally think and again personally i just think that washed coffees are really really great as pour overs and a lot of um you know uh, Coffees that have higher end f- notes and characteristics, so citrus, stone fruits, um, you know, a lot of berries, and 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 that sort of. This is where they those flavor notes are. Re- this technique is where those flavored notes are going to come out. Really come out. Um, you know, it's something I've never paid attention to on packaging, and maybe you could speak to it. But on tra- traditional brands, even that are in, a, in your local grocery store or your or a Whole Foods or a better type purveyor. Would would the packaging be? Would it say washed, unwashed? Like, is that a marketing angle that's not being exploited, um, or is it not? Because well, I feel ours, like I don't know about it. Ours do. And once you Yours get to does. a certain top of top end of the market, um, I I might I would say in the supermarket, probably maybe not. not. Right. Um, you know, they're probably they don't want to give the consumer too much to worry about, so. The blend versus single origin, the origin itself can be enough. 
the thing about specialty coffee is that for a lot of people, it's been quite confusing. They, they've looked at it and thought, oh, there's all these different origins and all these different processes and all these new brands. I, I don't even know where to start. Uh, so I know that at, at grocery level, they're trying to simplify it. But up at our level, you know, um, at, at the boutique sort of roastery level, we try to give as much information to the purchaser as we can. So origin, and you'll see these even if you go to coffee, um, you know, uh, artisanal coffee shops, they'll give you metres above sea level, they'll give you processing, they'll give you, um, you know, uh, they'll, like, they'll give you a raft of information. And a lot of it's um, to look like they know where it's coming from. But to the coffee nerds, that like when I make a decision, you know, I, I see altitude and I think sweetness and, you know, I, yeah, I, sure. I, I know what it is. So um, a lot of it can be daunting to, to an to a average punter. And, uh, but we try and, we try and make, give just enough information so that you can learn and educate the customers without confusing them mm-hmm. and making them feel like they need a science degree to understand it. Sure, sure. This you pour know. over thing might get me there but I'm I'm going to give it a go. Yeah, it's it's a good one. It's definitely um there's no hiding in a pour over. If you're using bad coffee, it will show in a pour over and if you're using great coffee, it will sing. It will be so it's a high risk high reward. I'm into it. Like yeah. I said this whatever is this you've done here is so good. And you would have yeah. noticed that it's changed in flavor as it's cooled down. So it came in a little bit more stringent and since you and I've sat here for however long a lot of these fruit notes have come out and a lot of the aromatics have come out and it's getting more vibrant. Um, that That's to do with temperature. Well, and the other interesting thing too is I'm like a huge, it's got to be hot or I'm not into it. But this, like you said, we, we've kind of got an open coffee cup here and it's really sort of delightful and, and, and it's as it's lukewarm room temperature, it's even, and I'm not off put. Usually if it's, if my French press has been sitting and I, I'm going to just make a fresh one because I don't want room temperature coffee. But there's something happening here that's yeah pretty pleasant on the front and the back. Yeah, it's um it got explained to me once very similar to like you should never drink an ice cold Chardonnay, you know it should have just be off cold. It's all, not not lukewarm, but the flavors and the and the notes of the the wine will come out, and it's the same. Like we brew a coffee, and I sort of have a sip to make sure it's you know there's nothing wrong with it, and then I will let it sit. You see a lot of people order pour overs in our coffee shop. And they take the lid off straight away. They want it to drop in temperature. Uh-huh. They want they want that couple of minutes straight away, um, and that's also so they can get stuck into it. But but it does it does um, take on a different flavour. And going back to that cupping process I spoke of, that standardised tasting, we taste eight minutes, eight thirty, nine minutes, nine thirty, ten minutes, ten thirty down the line, and they all it's quite amazing on the cupping score sheets how the flavours do vary in those time time breakdowns. Super cool. I know stuff. it's a bit nerdy, but no, nah, it's so <laughs> fascinating, dude. So, um, what do you think about cold coffee? Like, personally, my take I just mentioned it. Like, I feel like once it gets past this certain heat level, I'm out. So, like, the idea of a cold coffee with ice in it, um, and it's a personal thing, I know, but like, where from an elitist coffee point of view, like, is, is cold coffee sort of like cold pizza where you kind of go, it's not really meant the characteristics of pizza is, you know, again, for me, piping hot, almost cheese, scolding your mouth kind of enjoyment, cold pizza out of the fridge. Yeah, it's good. It's not great. 
like is that where, where does cold co- yeah. coffee land for you well again like my personally you know being from melbourne and it's I, I was brought up on you know flat white latte cappuccino espresso like it was a pretty traditional menu we're gonna go uh, back to the flat white because yeah. until you introduced me i'd never heard yeah of yeah flat white. so that's um yeah so that's so that's my go-to range um and since moving to California, obviously it's a lot hotter here, yeah. and and cold brew is a massive part of the coffee market here. Um, I was a little bit taken back by how big it was in Australia. There's cold brew and and things like that. Um, however, here, like to give you an idea, we've had to upgrade our ice machine twice because that's how strong the demand has been. Well, we just run out of ice. Like as in we're constantly, <laughs> right. you know, so we're running off to the gas station to buy bags of ice because this huge ice machine that we have that can remake how much ice an hour is empty. So people are into it. It's I've read that it's one of the fastest growing categories in grocery. In fact, the fastest. Um, you know, obviously you look at uh, the craft beer aisle in Whole Foods and it's a yeah. whole aisle. Yeah. I think let's fast forward a year. I think there'll be a whole aisle of cold brew coffee. I feel like it's happening. Yeah. Already. I mean, you're seeing like little boutique brands pop up even in like a, a, a larger grocery store, not even a specialized one like Whole Foods. Yeah. Um, and there's white coffee, obviously people adding milk to them now. So they're iced lattes. There's, um, you know, there's obviously almond milk, there's hemp milk, there is oat milk, all these different iced coffee variations that are coming out. Obviously, on the black coffee side, um, the iced, um, the 16 hours. So we do our cold brew. We steep it for 16 hours. So think back to your French press, put the coffee in, add cold water, and let it sit for 16 hours. Huh. Right? Before you press down. Well, you don't – yeah, you basically – and then you just drain it through a, through a filter. We filter ours twice to give it a cleaner sort of texture. Um but yeah, so it's a massive slug of coffee and a huge dose of caffeine. Um, and a lot of people, I find with a cold brew, you'll find people sit on it. They'll drink it sort of all day. Like yeah. it seems to be that sort of, you see people walking around with these plastic cups and they're full. with a half full yeah. cold brew. <laughs> yeah. And and they're sort of, they're, they're, they're getting that down over a few hours. Whereas, you know, you put a flat white in front of me, it's lucky to make it through a couple of minutes. Right, which is a problem <laughs> because they're really, really good. Yeah, yeah. And- and you want to down it. Yeah. So, so what, what's the process of a flat white? Well, the flat white is, is an interesting one. Obviously, back, you know, um, back in the 80s, the cappuccino was a foamy, domey drink. with, And we do a little chocolate shake of chocolate powder on top. Um, and we do that at Common Room Roasters here. We do the, we do the traditional Melbourne cappuccino and people, people love the little twist on it. Um, but the flat white is basically – a full full shot of espresso, but the milk you you want it flat as opposed to that domey cappuccino. So you're really saying I would like a cappuccino with no foam and no chocolate. Okay, right is is what you're saying that that's where it came from. But now the cappuccino and the flat white are on a collision course, turning into the same drink because this la this foamy cappuccino has kind of gone out of vogue, and the flat white has become also people a lot of people trying to drink less dairy. So the latte. Is generally just more milk, so, and you're basically diluting the espresso with more milk. Now, some people they like to, there's all different types of coffee drinkers. Some people like to sip and have a half an hour conversation on one drink, and some people like to slam and go. And the flat white is just a smaller version of the latte, but with the same amount of 
coffee in it, so it's sort of stronger. Um, and they and they generally uh, get served in a in a flat in a uh, like a cappuccino cup as opposed to like a latte glass or a, or an, or a cortado glass. It's in that sort of bowl shaped cup with a handle on the side. So um, another podcast too is putting the right coffee in the right glass. Like, <laughs> that, but it's yeah, just like that, wine, right? yeah, yeah, there's, it's very similar. So, different shapes for different. Yeah, and all lands on your palate in different places. So, um, so americano. Yeah. Um, to me, and I, again, I'm, I'm guessing as to what this is. To me, it's an espresso with more water in it. Yep. So it's a double shot of espresso. What, um, how close to a cup of coffee is that? It's, it's well, in the process, it's different. Yeah, so the cup of coffee is basically, when you say, this is an interesting thing too, like in America, people walk in and they say, I want a coffee. Now, in this podcast today, we've just discussed that coffee is a plant. It's not a drink. So I said, when I first moved here, I was like, okay, yeah, what coffee would you like? And they're like, I just want a coffee. They mean a batch brew drip right. coffee. That's right. what so America thinks that coffee is that process. That's true. Yeah. They don't, they don't say, I would like a, ba- a black batch brew, please, which is what they're asking for. So that in itself is interesting. Um, and then, but if you think the, the, bat, the coffee, the batch brewer, the bulk brewer is basically a large pour over, really. You put the handle, you, you fill up the basket with grounds, much coarser than you would an espresso. There's the shower head. Um, pulses the hot, boiling hot water over the coffee, it falls through and fills up the pot. So, and, and that can be done on a large scale commercially or at home on a benchtop, small little coffee, coffee machine. Um, so an espresso is obviously a really finely ground dose of coffee pumped with the um, nine bars of pressure from an espresso machine. It comes out in that syrupy espresso texture and then that's stretched with water. Now those two things taste very different. Um, the americano is we don't have the americano in Australia. Obviously, American, you know, americano. Yeah. It's called the long black. Again, it's very, very similar. We just stretch it with less water, so it's richer and a little bit stronger. And um, it shouldn't break the crema. You should lift the crema to the top of the cup um, rather than breaking it apart with the application of the water. Um, so, yeah, so a lot of people have come into our shop and they ask for Americano and we say we do a long black, which is a smaller version. I haven't, uh, haven't had anyone go the other way yet. They're, um, yeah, yeah no it's, it's rich and delicious. Um, what is nitro coffee? Yeah, nitro, well, obviously being another cold beverage. Um, I just think rocket fuel. Yeah, no, it's not running streetcars. It's um, – <laughs> so – Nitro, well, it's it's like what CO two does to beer. It's it's the carbonation of cold brew, basically. So you cold brew your coffee, and you ke- we put it in a keg. We do we do a keg, um, a five gallon keg, and then they they pressurize it with nitro, um, and then obviously there's a nitrogen tank on the kegerator, and it basically adds this carbonated aerated texture to the to the cold brew. So like a Pellegrino coffee. Yeah, think of Guinness beer. That I don't sort drink of Guinness beer. So <laughs> I've never but, had one. <laughs> but that cascading sort of um, Yes. I've seen it, one in a glass. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. that that's what it does. And it and it and it creates a crema in the coffee and it and it, it it's quite light and uh, fizzy. It's not fizzy, like that's not the right word for it. It's it's aerated and it's um and it but is what's the draw? Like what is it? Oh, it's, texture it's, is it's it's 
it's it's. Do you like them? Do you enjoy them? Uh, I do. I find it hard to blend and roast really good nitro blends because what the nitrogen does is it you don't know which part of the origin or which flavour note in the coffee it's going to amplify. Mm. So you think you're you think you're you know developing this dark rich nitro blend, and all of a sudden you pump it through nitro and it's fruity as it grabs something, and, else. and you're like, whoa, why is it? amplifying the fruit like so it can be a little challenging from our point of view to make a really nice nitro blend we think we've got it down now um heavy on colombia and um you know guatemala and these kind of origins that generally taste like chocolate to go back to your question of which countries taste like what um so yeah but it's again california they love it and the, you'll see Brand new cafe is getting built and it's coffee machine over here, grinder over here, nitro tap over here. It's just part of the install. Yeah, it's so, interesting. And it's it's fairly new to us because we have a little bit of it in Melbourne, but like I say, we're a bit more traditional in our coffee menus. Um, but it's definitely it's definitely here to stay. Yeah, well we'll see. I I've I've yet to taste one. Yeah. You know. So, you know, we let's talk about the future of coffee a bit. Um, you know, we got the you know, early education with, so town park brew co, um, you guys are doing a collaboration with, and yep. you're making a what? Well, what we did with, so town park is, um, obviously a beautiful new brewery in Anaheim and, uh, they, and they came to us with this awesome idea of mixing, of making a coffee infused beer. So we had a really great workshop with those guys and uh, we went through a whole, dof- whole lot of different origins and, and tasting profiles and we did a cupping to, to go back to what we spoke about and, and we selected a, um, a really beautiful Colombian coffee and basically, um, now I'm no beer expert on how to make beer, but I spoke to um, their master brewer. It was really interesting actually because talking to him about malt and wheat and grains and you know, all the origins of these ingredients into beer and the, and the extraction process to get the flavours. I was like, we're living parallel lives. You know, it was, it was quite cool to yeah. hear the beer version of what we do, you know. Um, so, so, yeah, so we collaborated and created this beautiful beer um, and it's, I think it's still in the holding tanks now over in Anaheim and um, I, I'm not sure. I think if you went there, you'd probably be able to get one over the counter now. Um, it's their coffee stout. And it is a um, it is a it's an awesome collaboration between uh, one of the better new uh, boutique breweries in in California and obviously uh, ourselves. Yeah, it's I can't wait to taste that. Yeah, it'll be, be yeah, it's going to be good. And so for for you at Common Room, I mean, what you know, you have again like one of the most beautiful, stunning experiences when you walk in. Um, I mean, every day, this isn't just see, but that's what's cool again. I'm just reinforcing my own point about like how the Aussies do things. Like, I mean, obviously, you know, your expertise in coffee is one thing, your ability from, you know, picking the bean all the way to, to, to how you roast it, to how you approach the whole process to the front end of the consumers one, but you walk into common room and it's, it's like beautiful. It's stunning. It's like, a, it could be in any architecture magazine. And I, I find, to me, like it's a pleasing environment. And to me, that's part of the the allure and the experience and the sort of sexiness that's wrapped into a brand. Um, does and you guys have got it all the way around. There's no question. Um 
what is the the goal of common room roasters? Is it, you know, is it the go blue bottle route and go subscription based? Is it is it retail frontages? Is it like what is the goal? Well, yeah, it's um, obviously. I'll just touch on the aesthetics of the place, um, and something we probably should have covered earlier. How did this all started? Um, so my business partner Jeremy Crichton, he is also another Melbourne guy, and he is a um, he has a branding design agency, uh, both in Melbourne and here in California. And I've known him for well eighteen years. He was he they him and his wife lived in the street that my first cafe was on the corner of. So I've been slinging him flat whites since the beginning, you know, really the beginning. And um, so, yeah, so he moves out here and, and, and sets up his American office of his advertising and branding agency, sees the little gap in the market and, and here in Southern California for a specialty coffee roastery. And, uh, and, he, and he sort of floats the idea of let's, let's, let's get a roaster and let's, let's get a warehouse and let's have a go. And, um, and he's a very, you know, he's a visionary kind of guy. And, um, and I thought about it for a while and I was like, you know, it's got a wife and kids and, you know, we're in schools and stuff. And then I thought, you know what, let's, you only live once. So let's, let's go for it. Um, so he is responsible for the internal aesthetics of the site. Um, he is an amazing, um, he's an amazing drawer, illustrator. He can almost draw 3D. I didn't it's, know that. Yeah, it's well, Guys, pretty, we're going to try to get him on the show as yeah, well. I he'd think be a good one. Um, he's a fascinating guy. Yeah, and he's a, he's a brand builder. That's what he does. And he's, he's worked on some of the – what I like about, you know, and what we're really fortunate to have with, with, um, with our team is that, you know, he's worked on some of the biggest brands in the world and, then, and, and also some of the smallest, you know. So, um, so we've tried to take little snippets from eat all the learnings um, combine them with coffee expertise and then and then turn out a product front door to back door that is really beautifully designed, um, very Melbourne, you know, a, a real tip of the cap to what's happening back at home and just something a little bit different to what's going on around us. Um, as far as the next move for us, um, obviously 2017 was our sort of setup year um, and it's it's it is a beautiful space and it has been – We've been really fortunate that a lot of people have been coming by and there's been, you know, magazines and all this kind of stuff and we've been a bit taken back by how how lucky we've been with the response. Um, we have now got our coffee into some of the better restaurants and cafes around LA and, and Southern California. Um, we just, we're the only non-Italian roaster in Italy, the new Italy in LA, which is a big, which is a big deal. Um and 2018 for us, I mean, we just want to keep building what we're doing. We want to keep educating the, uh, the, the, the community. We want to keep learning, you know, off our farmers and our, our, our customers and our peers. Um, we'd like to expand our reach, whether it be through um, opening some, a couple of sort of retail pop-ups here and there, or we have, we've talked about a few ideas. Um, we're open to any sort of idea. Um, first and foremost, though, we are we are a wholesale roastery. Um, I, I can't see us only having twenty cafes. Um, I, I could see maybe one or two um, in yeah. the near future to sort of get some outward facing consumer um, interaction. But really, just to keep putting the best coffee into the best cafes, and and 
just making really good coffee, and I know this sounds cheesy, but commonplace. And that's our little internal sort of message that we all live by. Yeah, so, and the, so the, the name Common Room yeah. Roasters speaks to that. And I'm assuming what we were talking about early on, which was sort of, hey, I want to get to know you. I want to know your name when you come in. Yeah. Right, as opposed well, to? At school, like, you know, I don't. In, you have a common room, which was a place for the students to gather where sort of all hierarchy goes out the window and and the teachers weren't usually around and it was a it was a common room that that people could sort of hang out and, and and treat as their own space and right back at the beginning um under this in this warehouse there was two or three or four even businesses operating in this one common space it was a, obviously a advertise the starting of an advertising branding agency there was a surfboard shaper there was a a guy building apps and digital stuff um, there's been recording, music recording things happening in there. There was a car restoration guy. So it really was this m- melting pot of of activity. And so that's where the word – and then the cafe in the front became the common place where everyone would sort of meet and hang out. So that's where the word common room came from. And then – and we try and still um, sort of create that vibe on a daily basis. We have – you know, I always look at, I wonder, I look around and I think, I wonder what everyone's working on today. And I sometimes go, oh, what are you doing? And it's, oh, I'm editing a song or I'm building an app or I'm editing some wedding photos or, you know, I'm, yeah. you know, everyone's doing their own thing in there, but everyone treats the spaces their own. And that's the most enjoyable part when you see people really taking time out of their day to come to our place and feel totally comfortable to to just do what they have to do. Well, and I think also, you know, it was very smart, whether it was, you know, a very strategic move or not, but where Common Room Roasters is located, you know, for those who are not familiar with the Orange County area, sort of in the epicenter of a lot of the action sports brands that are, you know, really driving it today. So you've got like Ruka and Volcom and Hurley. Um, so you've got, you know, I go in there and I'll see, you know, like their design teams in there and, you know, it's, it's no coincidence that people that are sort of aesthetic driven are coming to your place are not only getting, you know, beautiful coffee that's been, been, you know, curated and thought about, but again, the, the environment is very pleasing. And I, I, and I think that that's, you know, a strength to the brand that the marketing seems to be this grassroots effort, less about active promotion and more about you know, word of mouth. Hey, there's this really bitching spot in this industrial <laughs> type of random spot in Costa Mesa. Yeah. And these guys are doing something really cool. Go check it out. I mean, that's, that's where it's at, right? It's not about, yeah, it's, you know, it's buying like, ads. No. And that's the thing. It's um again in, you know, with the power of the smartphone, you can really be anywhere now. You know, people will just type it in and hit the button and go, all right, that's where it is. Follow the blue line. And, uh, you know, with these, this sort of gentrified industrial area that we're in, you know, these, these big spaces are now full of advertising agencies and headquarters for action sports brands and there's recording studios uh, and there's, you know, um, lots of different sort of new, younger, contemporary sort of goings on in these buildings. And then we turn up, turn on a beautiful space with great coffee now, obviously, with the surf industry so prevalent around here, there's a lot of Aussies in these brands. So they were straight on it. They're like, yes, you know, Melbourne <laughs> coffee, like <laughs> here it is. 
And then from there, we, you know, it sort of flowed outwards and people have discovered it. You know, there's still, you know, there are people turning up today having no idea how long's this been here, right, you know. Right. Um, but it's been a discovery sort of journey. Um, and that way I think also people really, once they discover something, you treat it as your own, like I found this, you know, like it's my little spot. Right. Um, so we like that. Um yeah, we like the sense of discovery and being off the beaten track. Uh, you know, obviously it it does. It's a little bit different. Like the foot traffic is not, you know, like being on high street. However, we've got space and we're we're again. It is a production facility. People love sitting there and watching the green bean come and go, and the delivery vans come and go, and all the roastings behind glass. You can see the whole process. Um, we've probably taken a little bit of a. Um, inspiration from some of the craft breweries around, um, like Town Park, yeah, where you can same. see yeah. the brewing process. And you really feel like, you know, if you have a beer at the brewery, it's very different to having a beer at the bar, at a pub. You know, like you really feel like the beer was made just over there and here it is here and these guys all love this brand so much and I firmly believe it makes the beer taste better. And we take, try and um, – emulate that with the coffee we we you know people see the process and the roaster going and the and the bulk beans moving around and then to see it in a flat white they know that it's all just here and then they're drinking at the headquarters of the brand um and i think that's something a little bit different yeah no it's a beautiful thing let's touch on the award real quick because i feel like i didn't give that much justice in in the inception other than to say uh you know you guys went up against some heavies but and listen, I'm not trying to make this a common room roasters like infomercial, but this no, no, is no. special. Well, it was, and yeah. it deserves to be talked about. Yeah, it was. It was an interesting thing. I, I, um, I had never competed in America before. Um, I'd done a few barista tournaments and things like that on an individual thing uh, level back home. But uh, Coffee Fest is a is a big organization that is a traveling um, trade show around America. And they have a raft of different uh, categories for competition. There's barista, latte art, cold brew, you name it. Different categories. Different categories, yeah. right? And it's a big – so the trade show is split into two. One side's all competition. The other side's all brands showing their wares and standard trade show. So we were in the best espresso in America's best espresso. So it was like a – it was a knockout, knockout um, format. So uh, there was um, – I think there was 64 roasters in it and basically you would have to, you had three minutes to calibrate the machine and then you had another three minutes to pull three perfect espresso shots and give them to three judges. Did you do this? This was uh, So we took, I, we took our head barista with us. Okay. So I roasted the blend and obviously built the blend for the event and then he, um, he poured the, we did the calibration together and we have a quick taste and a quick, test and and then obviously the time starts two espresso machines side by side very nerve-wracking and two baristas going head to head to put out three perfect shots now you would be amazed in a busy cafe how quickly we knock out three mm-hmm. shots mm-hmm. but when there's spotlights and stands of people watching and the loudspeaker talking and the clock the big clock counting down it's amazing the pressure and 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 you know <laughs> so so um so Iran, our head barista, he was he did an amazing job. So he had to put out three shots um, to 
three judges, and these were serious judges. These guys were Q graders, um, SCA committee members, um, you know, really, really respected palates and 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 tasters. And they were rotating uh, every second coffee. So there was 10 rotating judges, uh, six rounds of competition over three days. So it was – we didn't just pull a lucky shot. You know, it was it was Consistent quite, ride. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was – it was based on three categories. It was flavor, um, weight, and mouthfeel, as they call it, and then drinkability. So, um, Meaning I'd want to drink this. I, I could have another and another, like as in that's yeah. really pleasant. Because uh, there's a lot of coffee out there that's really quite intense. Again, it's very similar to craft beer. You have a beer and you go, wow, that's mm. really amazing. Yeah, I but I don't want another I couldn't one. have two yeah. or three of those though, you know. <laughs> yeah. like yeah. So coffee's quite similar, especially espresso. It's not – it's pretty – pretty raw you know product and um yeah so we scored really well in drinkability and it was it was head to head and we made our way through the rounds and yeah got to finals day and um you know we're in top eight top four and then we made the final and it was um unfortunately we didn't win it was um it was another californian guy um who who took out first place and he had a really really interesting geisha coffee which was it was amazing and but what I liked about what we did is we scored the highest out of anyone for drinkability. So um, our coffee obviously um, is is not only tasty and, and performs well, but it's um, you want another one. <laughs> uh, yeah, and we've been drinking plenty here today. Yeah. So if I wanted to find out additional information on Common Room Roasters, like how how would I do that? Well, yeah, so you can go to – obviously our website is a pretty good source of information, um, commonroomroasters.com. Um, we have an active Instagram account where we um, post both on the um, daily stories and then um, in the regular feed of what's happening around our world. Um, and obviously to go to our cafes that we sell, Common Room Roasters too, um, our wholesale customers. Um, they're dotted around California. and I can find those on the site? Yeah, or... you can find them on the site and um, yeah, or come into the cafe itself. And, and all of our guys are really um, – we want it to be a really open door sort of environment. So if you have a question, you want to talk about what we've discussed today being, you know, French pressing, pour over, cold brewing, single origin. If you want to get into roasting, um, come and hit us up because we, um, we love what we do and, and, we like, and we like to share the knowledge and, 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 you know, talk with people who are interested. Well, yeah, man, it, it shines through in your enthusiasm and, and certainly in the flavor that I'm tasting and, um, you know, huge fan of what you guys are doing and can't wait to see where it's going to go. Um, you know, thank you for sharing all your knowledge oh, today. You. I'm totally jacked. I think <laughs> I'm going to be good well into this, into this evening. So, um, again, appreciate it. Hope you guys learned something on the art of coffee episode, uh, for more on this and other episodes, go to brevitycode.com and we're at uh, brevity code podcast. Uh, what else? I think that's a wrap, my man. Yeah, it's been really um, – thank you very much for having me. It's been really, really cool. Super cool to have you. All right, man. Cheers. Cheers.